<laughs> I'll take some encouragement. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Woo, come on. <laughs> Um, okay, so this morning, I wonder if you have ever heard some really good news, something really exciting, something that's going to be life-altering, uh, something that if it's true, it's going to change who you are, it's going to change your life, it's going to change your complete reality and probably turn your life upside down. I'm pretty certain that most of us in this room have received news like that at some point. Uh, me and Tom have had some exciting news like that uh, a few Months ago, we recently found out that we we're going to have a baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> that is big news. It is definitely exciting. It's definitely life-altering. I've been assured it will definitely turn my life upside down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when we, when we first out, found out, it was really, really exciting. And it was really easy to believe that news. And uh, so, you know, obviously I told Tom. He was quite excited too. <laughs> And uh, we actually had someone living with us at the time, and so our little celebration was quite silent and involved jumping up and down so the other person couldn't hear <laughs> what we were celebrating. Um, and then I made a midwife appointment, because that's what you're meant to do. And I, I had to wait a few weeks. And those weeks, as, as the weeks went on, I started to, like, doubt started to creep into my mind of, like, am I, am I pregnant? I mean, I know that Tess said I was pregnant, but, you know, I don't really feel any different. Am I really pregnant? Oh, I don't know if I'm really pregnant. Maybe I'll go to that midwife appointment and she'll have her special midwife senses and she's going to look at me and say, you're not pregnant. What are you doing here? And before I found, you know, I found myself the night before my midwife appointment, just taking a second test to find, just to, just to check, just to make sure that I hadn't imagined it all. So, why am I telling you this ridiculous story, um, which is just really embarrassing for me, and none of you really need to know? Um, the point is that when we hear big news, when we hear things that are actually potentially life-altering in that way, it's actually quite natural to feel doubt, even if it's really hopeful. And doubt or unbelief, it doesn't make that truth any less real, it doesn't uh, make it any less true, but actually it's just part of being human. You know, God, he created all of us. That includes our brains. He knows how our minds work. And I don't think it ever comes as a surprise to him when we start to examine whether things are really true and whether we start to question if things are really true. And actually, it can be a really important process to wrestle with an unbelief and doubt um, to actually make sure we know what it is that we believe and we've not just accepted something at face value. And so that is something that I'm sure is all of us here this morning, if you're a Christian or maybe you're on a journey um, towards Jesus, actually that's something you've wrestled with um, in your faith when you're thinking about God. Because the Bible is full of outrageous truth. It is outrageous. It's amazing news. It's miraculous, some of the stuff that you read in here. And if it's true, it's definitely life-altering. And so that wrestle with unbelief is important. Um, C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, Now, I am a Christian. I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked entirely probable. <laughs> so even C.S. Lewis, the great writer, um, he wrestled with that same sense of doubt sometime. And that's the theme we're going to look at this morning. We're going to be in Mark 9 verse 14 to 29, and we're going to look at Jesus performing a miraculous healing miracle. Okay, if you want to turn to the page, I'm going to have a quick drink.
excuse me. Okay, so verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, so Jesus has just been up on the the mountain. Um, He's been away with three disciples. Nine disciples have been left, well, not up on the mountain. (laughs) I don't want to say left behind. But uh, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed with a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. It foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? And he replied, that kind can only come out by prayer. Okay, so what we're going to look at this morning is some of the attitudes around um, that miraculous passage that Jesus performed that we see in the passage. And um, as we do that, I want to think about our own attitudes and our own areas of unbelief, our own areas of doubt, especially when it comes to um, healing miracles. And uh, we're going to ask ourselves three questions along the way that I think we can draw out of the passage. So first of all, we're going to ask ourselves, do you believe the one that you believe in? Oh, sorry, do you know the one? Do you even know my own questions? (laughs) Do you know the one that you believe in? And we're going to look at the response of the disciples. So uh, many moons ago, Tom asked me to marry him. And... uh, well, first of all, he planned to ask me to marry him. And uh, as part of that, he wanted to ask my dad because, you know, it was traditional. He felt it was the right thing to do. <laughs> so I was a student at the time and I was going home to Orkney every summer. And so Tom came up to Orkney one summer um, well, when I was there on holiday to see my, my family. And I think he was there for a week. And as the week went on, uh, time kept passing and Tom still hadn't asked. And another day went past and Tom still hadn't asked. And my dad is lovely and he is a really, really loving uh, father. But maybe if you're not his daughter, <laughs> you wouldn't initially think that. And he's, I think Tom's a little bit nervous about it. <laughs> and uh, 
one night, my dad was coming to pick me up from work, and Tom decided, right, this is it. I'm going to do it tonight. I'll go. I'll go with George. So he went with my dad in the car to pick me up from work. And as they were waiting for me outside of work, Tom finally plucked up the courage and said, "I want to ask Rachel to marry me." And my dad said, "What do you think she'll say?" <laughs> so Tom was like, uh, "Yes." <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you've ever been in that position, if you've, that you've asked a question or the outcome of a situation, someone's just responded in a way that you were not expecting. Um, but it was a little bit like that here in this passage for the disciples. We see that in verse 14, Jesus arrives on the scene and uh, finds the nine disciples that have been um, with the crowd, and this father's brought his son to be healed, but it hasn't happened, and the crowd are all sort of like arguing, disputing what's going on. And so Jesus says, what, what, what's going on? What are you arguing about? And Jesus's response is, oh, unbelieving generation, how long will I stay with you? Now, I don't know if you were one of the disciples, but I'm not sure that's what I thought Jesus might say to me in that moment. <laughs> oh, unbelieving generation, literally those without any faith. You know, the disciples, they've been with Jesus for a while. They've been going around. They've been seeing him perform all these miracles. They've actually even been sent out by Jesus, and they've performed their own miracles. And, you know, they had so much proof that Jesus could do that. I don't think the disciples actually probably were doubting that this boy could be healed, and they were probably quite confused by the fact they hadn't been able to heal him. But actually, the problem was that they'd forgotten where that power to heal comes from, that actually it was nothing to do with who they were or what they did in that moment, but actually everything to do with their reliance on God and their dependence on the Holy Spirit and the power of God. So when we see later on in the passage, at the end in verse 28, when Jesus, when the disciples say to Jesus again, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus says to them, this kind can only come out with prayer. Jesus wasn't saying, you forgot to pray, guys. You didn't tick the box. He wasn't saying, you got your technique wrong. No, it was different from that. It was actually a call to a higher place, a deeper place of intimacy, calling them further into relationship with the problem, with, with the Father. With the problem, oh dear. <laughs> you know, and Jesus himself, he was found regularly in that place of prayer, wasn't he? And um, you can read that all through the Gospels, but also in the passage just immediately. And um, we know he's been up on the mountain. And if you read about that in Luke, it says he went up there to pray. And then the transfiguration takes place and the disciples see him in that glory and splendor. And we hear the voice of the Father affirming him, my son, my beloved one. He knew what it was to be found in that place. He knew what it was like to go there again and again and again, to be in the presence of his father, to be affirmed um, by his father, to be in that place of intimacy. And prayer, time with the father, with pre in the presence of God, it's that place where we become more receptive to the action of God. It's a call that Jesus was making to the disciples to um, adopt that continual posture of prayer, of a place of intimacy with Jesus. And maybe for us, when it comes to healing, maybe we experience those doubts, those moments of unbelief where we find ourselves thinking, you know what, well, 
I, I believe that, that can happen, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know what words to say. I don't know where to put my hands. I don't know how to do that. Maybe you've prayed for people and nothing happened, and you're like, oh, that was, all, that was me. I did it wrong. I must have done something wrong. Or maybe actually sometimes something has happened and someone's been healed. Maybe you just want to see God do that again. Actually, we don't need to learn a better technique. We don't need to learn the right words. We don't need to um, learn if we put our hands on their shoulder, we put our hand on their sore knee. But actually, maybe instead what we need to hear is that call to deeper intimacy with the Father, to spend more time in his presence, in the place where our knowledge of God and our love for God and our understanding of God can grow and it can flourish, where we can understand a sense of deeper um, dependence and reliance on him, where we can foster that where we can begin to understand more of who he is, but also we can begin to understand more of who we are in him. And then we'll begin to understand that he and he alone has the power to heal. He's the source. So do we know that place of intimacy with the Father? Do you know deeply the one that you believe in, the source of the power to heal and transform? Are you seeking the gift giver rather than just the gifts. Yeah. Okay, so second question. Will you put your trust in him? So one of the other central characters in this uh, passage was the father who's brought his son to be healed. And unlike the disciples who were sure the boy could be healed, this man isn't quite so certain. He's hopeful. He's a bit desperate. You know, in verse 17, he's brought his son to be healed. Um, But in verse 22, he says, if you can do anything, Jesus, if anything can be done. You know, he's totally desperate for something to be done for his son. He's lived with that for his whole life. And he's at the same time not certain if anything can be done at all. So he's full of of doubt as well. And Jesus replies to him in verse 23, we say, he says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And as soon as that man hears that promise, that hope, he cries out to Jesus. He says, Lord, I believe. He confesses. He's like, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. So we used to play this uh, game at primary school. Uh, As an adult, I now understand that it's maybe a bit of a dodgy game that's loosely based in the occult. But at the time, I did not know this. So it was a... a game where someone had to lie on a bench. Yeah, oh, some other people are nodding. I played this game. I think a lot of girls played this game. Someone had to lie on the bench, and you all got around them in a circle, and you, you put your pinky under them. And uh, you had to close your eyes, and you had to just believe really, really, really hard that this person, if we said the right words, was going to be able to be lifted up by our pinkies. Now, it might not surprise you to know that that never happened, but it was because, of course, we never ever mustered up enough belief that that was going to happen. And um, I think that is. It's not the same thing that Jesus is asking us to do when he says, um, you've got to believe. I don't want to misunderstand what he meant when he says everything is possible for the one one who believes. It's not a case of you need to try harder. If you just believe a little bit uh, harder with some internal magical fortitude of your own making, that then that person will be healed. Or actually, conversely, if they're not healed, it's because you didn't believe enough. 
but actually it's an invitation from Jesus to put our trust in him, the one that can do all things. The boy's father was desperate to see that miracle, and he wasn't coming from a place of strength or power. He was coming from a place of weakness, of brokenness, of desperation. He didn't seem to really have an awful lot of choices. And Jesus didn't ask him to overcome that unbelief by believing harder, but by simply putting our trust into him. And we don't have to come from that place of strength when we come to Jesus and we're asking him to heal us. We don't have to come without any doubt in our mind or without um, our thoughts completely unwavering. But actually, he'll meet us in that place of desperation when we turn to him, when we confess our unbelief, when we cry out to him and we put our trust in him and we say to him, I believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. So when we think about the miraculous things of God, maybe you are in a place this morning where you need that in your life. You're desperate to know God's healing in your own life or in the life of someone that you care about deeply. You're desperate to know the manifestation of the kingdom of God today, and yet it's twinned with doubt. Or actually, maybe you're just in a place where you can't believe that God would ever do that, that God could ever heal or intervene. Um, If we want to change that, then we need to come to Jesus. We need to confess our unbelief to him. We need to say those words, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Surrendering ourselves again, bowing the knee again, and just saying, Lord, you are Lord, and I put my trust in you. And I, I know that when we're in that place where we're desperate to know God's intervention, to bring healing, it can be painful Um, especially if you have been in that place where you're putting your trust in God, you're asking him to intervene, and nothing seems to be happening. I know that that is a painful place to be, and we don't want to deny that pain at all, and we want to stand with you in that. And um, if you are in that position right now, you know, please speak to your small group leader, one of the pastors. We'd love to stand with you in that. But, you know, the reality is we live in this tension of now and not yet. We know that God's kingdom has already arrived and yet is still being ushered in. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the victory belongs to Jesus. We know that it's already been won. And yet, we're still waiting. We're still waiting to know that time when we'll know the fullness of God's kingdom. Like it says in Revelation, we're still waiting to know that time when God's dwelling will be with his people. That time when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Where there will be no more death, there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain and where the old order of things has passed away. But we're still waiting, and we live in that difficult place, that place of tension. And, you know, C.S. Lewis, again, he says, faith is the art of holding on to things in spite of our changing moods and circumstances. And that invitation from Jesus is to put our trust in him, the one who can do all things. 
So whether we're coming from that place of desperation to know God's healing this morning, or maybe we're just in that total place of disbelief and uh, cynicism, and we just we we just can't overcome that in our minds. If we want to overcome that, we need to come to Jesus this morning. We need to confess our unbelief, and we need to confess our need for him to change our hearts. So we need to pray together, you know, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Okay, do we dare to believe? I'm just going to have a quick drink. So lastly, there was also a crowd in this passage, wasn't there? A group of onlookers, uh, we read in verse 15, um, the, the, or 14, there was a big crowd around the disciples. Verse 15, they say Jesus, and uh, they were overwhelmed by wonder. They, were, they went and they ran to greet him. So they were greatly amazed. They were interested in who Jesus was and what he could do. But they were also the people who were arguing with the disciples about why they couldn't heal the boy. And uh, when I think about the crowd, I think about them as being a group of uh, uh, spectators, maybe a group of skeptics as well. So I don't know if anyone here is into football. Let's have a quick poll, see if you're still awake. Mm, Okay, less people than I thought. A few twinges. Let's do it again. Quick poll. Yeah, more people. Okay. (laughs) And uh, so some of you are into football. I personally am not into football, really. But even if you're not into football, you're probably aware that right now the World Cup is going on at the moment. Oh, yes, the World Cup. I had no intention of watching any of the World Cup. And thankfully for me, Tom is not that interested in football either. So I never have to really watch a lot of football. Except last week, (laughs) when I was at my parents' house, my dad and my sister really into football and really wanted to watch all of the World Cup, if possible. (laughs) So I found myself watching several matches last week. Um, At first, I was like, oh, I don't want to watch football, watch football. But actually, um, in reality, I didn't really mind watching the football. And uh, normally, I I don't know anything about football. I don't know anything about football teams. I don't know players' names. I don't know what makes a good football player. And uh, yeah, as I was watching those matches, it didn't take very long at all before I knew exactly what made a good football player and exactly who the best players were and who deserved to win and who didn't deserve to win and which team was doing this. And all of a sudden, I was really, really opinionated about football and uh, I knew who should be winning and who should be losing. Uh, And the reality is, I still know nothing about football. (laughs) And it can be very easy to be opinionated when we're on the sidelines, can't it? I'm sure I'm not the only person in this room who it applies to, whether you actually know something about football or not. When we're on the sidelines, it can be really easy to have an opinion about things. And uh, I think that's just not true only about football. I think actually, if we're not careful, we can become a bit like that in our own faith. We can become a little bit like the crowd. We can become spectators, someone who, some people who know a lot about it, who have a lot of opinions about it, but actually, in reality, maybe aren't willing to get on that field in front of thousands of people broadcast across the globe to uh, play the game. And it says in Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. 
That is Jesus' desire for us. Jesus wants us to be his disciples. He wants us um, to be like him, to be his children, to be his followers. He wants us to be his disciples, not the crowd. He didn't say, go and make spectators of all nations. He said, go make disciples. So when it comes to things like healing, we all get to participate. We all get to participate with God to see God's kingdom come. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one is the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. And to another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. That's the same spirit given to each one, everyone, all of us. If you're a Christian here today, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and it's that same spirit who gives good gifts to every one of us. And if you've been around this church for a little while, you might have heard the the phrase being used, we all get to play, Uh, is one of the values of the Vineyard Church movement that we're part of. It's also something that we believe as a church. You know, so in the context of all of this, when we're talking about healing miracles, we all get to play. It's not just for the chosen few. It's not for the advanced Christians, the ones who have all sorted. We all get to play. It's the same spirit in all of us. And so the question for us in terms of our own belief in relation to all of this is how far does your belief that God can actually do all these things go? Does it go far enough that you're willing to act on it? You need to ask yourself, do you dare to believe that God would use you in that way? We don't want to live a Christian life where we stand by and we're like, oh yeah, I know that happens in my church. And I've heard of that guy in our church who got you know, they got healed. But we want to be people who participate, who join in. We want to be people who can say, yeah, I've witnessed God do that firsthand. God used me to do that. Isn't that amazing? Okay, we are going to worship. We're going to pray. Why don't we stand?